While this podcast platform typically explores the spiritual biographies of practitioners in Myanmar, along with delving into the different meditation traditions there, we have somewhat shifted our focus to respond to this current crisis. While we will definitely continue to interview guests who can share Buddhist perspectives and impart wisdom at this time of need, we will be expanding our work to talk with a wider range of speakers who can add to the breadth and depth of our coverage so that listeners can better understand the nature of the current crisis. And if there are additional topics or guests that you would like to suggest, please do so by writing us at info at insightmyanmar.org. With that, let's get on to our show. You're listening to the third episode in our ongoing series, Love Letters to Myanmar. Our recent run of long-form interviews has tried to realistically portray the terror and suffering that so many Burmese people have been facing during this four-month-long siege since the military initiated their coup on February 1st. As critical as it is to tell these stories, we do not want our platform to reflect a one-dimensional view just airing stories of pain and carnage. There is so much more about Myanmar that we also want to share. So this current series is meant to remind us of just how much the Golden Land has offered those of us who were fortunate enough to have ever visited or lived there, and to help to remember the country during its better days, to appreciate and celebrate Burmese culture and community. We do want to be clear that this current series is not in any way intended nor should it be seen as an escape from the current circumstances in Myanmar, especially for those of us now listening from places of freedom and safety. Rather, it's to help reground all of us in why we care so much about this country in the first place. We hope that these shows can aid us in keeping our hearts firmly rooted in the Golden Land, while also providing a sense of renewed energy and purpose as we face the latest developments. With that in mind, let's get into today's show. We first hear from Joanna. The positivity in all the moments is so, so good. A young German college student who initially came to Myanmar as part of her college internship and so fell in love with the country that she ended up coming back and staying on during the pandemic and even after the coup, all the while virtually attending university back in Germany. Next up is Sum. It's, you know, a place where I think a lot of, um, Almost magical things happen. Who arrived in Myanmar in 2008 in the wake of Cyclone Nargis and decided to stay on to support the country's nascent democratic reforms. And finally, we check in with Keshav Mota. It's perhaps, you, you know, feelings like these can touch people even if, let's say, they're not deeply interested in, in meditation or going deep into. An Indian currently living in Peru who traveled to Myanmar in 2010 and speaks fondly of the strong spirituality he felt while interacting with different communities. We'd like to highlight several features appearing on this episode in addition to the guests themselves. First are the musical interludes. You'll hear samples from the protest anthem Do Ye, which means Our Cause, and was produced by Lin Ent. Take a look at the show notes to get the link for the accompanying music video, which features English subtitles to the Burmese lyrics. 
You'll also be hearing some Vina music that was produced by Keshav. third guest on this show, and which he kindly offered for our use. Listeners may also recall his music appearing at the start of our previous episode, Beaten But Not Broken. Another added feature is a poetry reading by a volunteer. She has her own podcast, and we have included her poetry reading on previous episodes and look forward to continuing this in shows to come. On today's episode, she'll read a poem by Ket Thi. This Monua-based poet was arrested last month and then tortured to death in prison. Knowing the power that poetry offers in its creative expression of resistance and freedom, the military has been ruthless in murdering some of the greatest poets in the country. We have also included several tracks from the team at Mahar Insights, who created the Operation Hanoi Hana project. They have described their work as follows, quote, Inspired by the Hanoi Hana of the Vietnam War, we recorded and engineered several audio files and combined them to make a track that we hope will be useful in our psychological warfare against terrorist dogs that mercilessly kill the civilians of Myanmar. We hope that this will convince at least some of the soldiers to participate in CDM, Civil Disobedience Movement, and join the Myanmar citizens' fight for the cause. The uprising shall succeed." End quote. These audio files are available on the Mahar Insights website and freely available to download. Burmese protesters have done just that, they download the tracks of defection messages and hide speakers around outside to broadcast them to soldiers. By encouraging the military not to kill, Mahar's work is at the forefront of the fragile nonviolent movement. While the tracks on this episode are all in Burmese, our team is currently collaborating with them to produce English versions so that our listeners can also understand their meaning. We hope to include more of these tracks in episodes to come. And finally, scattered throughout this current episode, as well as on so many other shows we've recorded since the coup, you may notice ambient sounds from Myanmar, which were recorded at ground level during these protests. This was courageously done by Tharne, who took his microphone out with him to capture how the streets and people actually sound. And I'm grateful for Mike Bink's work in so creatively placing the tracks throughout these episodes. To put it succinctly, we're trying to create a listening experience that goes beyond just a singular interview with an individual guest, however interesting and rich it may be on its own. As a result, we hope that it helps you gain a deeper feeling as to what is now happening in Myanmar, even as we listen to these other non-protest stories. And if you're moved by the stories you hear today, please consider making a donation that can go to the communities most being impacted by the tragic events transpiring in Myanmar today. So with that, let's get on to the show. ไม่กล้าวะยกุตันสะเปดอมะซีซั่นก็รอฮานอยฮานะสุเรซะแลนโตซูมยาผิดบาเรนาจองนี่เรมีบาผิดซูมยานี่เนี่ยอีซีซั
Gudarbian by Kathy, translated by Pio Winlet. Like them, we're also the mixed blood descendants of Pio, Sek, and Kenyam. The myth of pure Kestria bloodline will mock your idiosyncrasies. Does our civilized world still permit the deprivation of the dignity of a community? The community is rounded up and fenced off like animals. The community has been denied their inborn rights. The community has no choice but to envy the privileges that others enjoy as the gift of God. Their very existence is enough reason to protect them for the conscientious people of the world. There are genocides in Gudabye, in Inde, and somewhere else that took the innocent lives of even children and elderly. None of the victims know what sin they have committed, but when they meet God hereafter, they could have asked, are we free from hell now? Gurabien, Kathy, Ngarule Piu, the Ganyanga Nola Redwe Nordebe, Taki Dueso de Dienega, Mindoya Yutamogo, Chateau Bialeme, Ludam Yonesu de Kuha, Lutambo, Dame Pindola de Etiang, Yinjere Gabama, she then Dolula. The Laysan Lo Changa Peso Kantayare, Ludam Yonesu de Kuha. လူတာတွေအခြေခံရပိုင်ခွင့်တွေတားမြစ်ထိန်းချုပ်ခံထားရတဲ့လူသားမျိုးနွယ်စုဟာလူနှင့်လူခြင်းကိုဖရားသခင
Hi, Joanna. Welcome to Love Letters to Myanmar. Thank you for being here. Hello. Thank you. Thank you for letting me be here. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit about yourself, your background, and where you're at currently. Uh, of course, I am in Germany at the moment, and I was studying international media and computing. I was studying in a German university, and I did an internship in Myanmar for six months in 2019. <laughs> I wonder how you got interested in going to Myanmar for your internship. Oh, Uh, I was interested in Asia pretty much. I have traveled to different Asian countries during um, university and also before this. And I've never been to Myanmar. And my university wanted me to go abroad for my internship. So I was like, okay, <laughs> you have never been to Myanmar. Let's take the chance and go there. So I went to Myanmar. That is so cool. I wonder what some of your first impressions were when you arrived to Myanmar. Oh, that's actually a cool story because um, my first impressions were very crazy. I arrived one day before the Tinjan, the big water festival in Myanmar. And I drew straight from the airport to the apartment where I was living then at the moment. And I was seeing all the people building up stages in the very, very late evening, nighttime maybe. And I was like, hmm, what's this? Okay. And the next morning I woke up and it was sunny and I was like, yay, let's do something. I wanted to go down and get some bread and maybe water, just something to eat um, from the next grocery store. So I went downstairs And some children pulled water over me. So my first impression of Myanmar ever was like getting water pulled all over me. It was hot. And I was like, what? What is happening here? And the children were laughing and saying something. And I was like, okay, mm, okay. And then on my way to the grocery store, everyone was pulling water at me and smiling. And oh, it was, I don't know, it was so amazing just to see everyone with this big smile and happy face in this heat in this country. So yeah, this was my very first impression. That is incredible. I mean, I just, I'm just tearing up hearing about this because um, I imagine that you were pretty surprised and maybe even confused with what was happening. But um, it is just such a special occasion, you know, the New Year's celebration in Myanmar called Thinjan, where um, people just, as you're going through the streets, people just pour water on you, splash water on you, sometimes with a hose, sometimes with a big bucket or a small bowl. And it's just refreshing. Um, so yeah, I wondered, did you have anyone explain to you what that occasion was about? I researched before I went to Myanmar, what will happen when I am there. So I also read about Tinjan the water festival, but I didn't expect it to be this huge. I maybe was a bit um, yeah, naive at the moment when I was reading the articles and um, things on the internet about water festival. But when I came there, it was just overwhelming. It was huge. It was super nice. 
Mm, that's lovely. Yeah. And so you spent six months there during your first visit. I'm curious to hear, you know, what kinds of projects you got into and just the different encounters that you had while you were there. Mm. So I went there for my internship. So of course, I start after Tinjan. I was there for Tinjan like a few days without work. And then after the water festival, I started working and I went to the office every day and I did my internship in backend for uh, web development. But I felt lonely. Like I didn't know anyone besides my coworkers and I didn't really communicate with them because maybe they were shy or I didn't really know how to talk to them. So I, it was just me in the beginning in Myanmar. And then I was like, Johanna, no. You have to connect to people. So I went to Facebook groups and in one of the groups, I saw that there is an event happening at a um, club, at a dancing club. And it's on, it was a weekend, it was Sunday or so. And I went there and it was cool because I was dancing K-pop at this time. So we learned a K-pop choreography and I, <laughs> I didn't have anyone to talk to. So I was just like, okay, two hours of dancing and now I don't have anything to do the whole day. And then a guy just came straight up to me and was like, you look lonely. <laughs> do you want to talk to me or so? <laughs> and um, he became my best friend and um, we just like traveled together. We had different experiences all around the um, parts of Yangon together. We were like seeing so many things and he was also giving me my Myanmar name. Um, my Myanmar name is Mua because of my yellow hair and I'm born on Monday. And starting from this moment when I met him, I just learned to yeah, love Myanmar. And, like I went to Shwedagon, the big pagoda and yeah, like the first the first depression when I got there, like being lonely, just changed into, wow, every day is wonderful and a big experience. And I'm so thankful for all this and being here. Yeah, that's incredible how big of a difference, um, you know, meeting someone that you can connect with and to really show you around a new country. So I wonder, did you get to visit other places around Myanmar? Mm, yeah, I mean, um, I first visited Pa'an, I guess, and then also other big cities, Mandalay, Pagan, uh, some beaches and so, but um, I think the experience or the part of Myanmar that I loved the most when I first went to Myanmar was a small hometown from one of my friends. And in this town, there are not many people. So everyone, um, like I was an attraction, you know, I went there and everyone was like, wow, there's a foreigner. And it was kind of cool to be there and see everyone looking at me, but also um, strange because I'm not, I wasn't used to this attention. And in this hometown, um, it was during wet season, rainy season. So it was flooded. The area around the hometown was flooded and people on the countryside didn't have access to 
fresh water, drinking water, food, medicine. So from the hometown, we started packing water and food into little boats and drove to the towns around and put like food and medicine at the monasteries. And this experience was so, so nice because we were helping other people, but we still had fun. And I really did something together with local people without understanding them or they understand me or so. It's, yeah, it was, it was amazing. Mm. Yeah, you bring up a really great point because in Myanmar, so many acts of kindness happen where, you know, you don't really receive anything in return yourself other than just the pure joy of helping someone else. Yeah, that's so true. And this is also what I really miss being here back in Germany. I think people here have a very tunneled view. They have their life and their life has to be great. And um, in Myanmar, it's like if you see other people and you can help them you just go straight up to them and help and maybe it's also coming back to your life or maybe not it's okay like the positivity in all the moments is so so good it's wow and this really really also changed how i see things and yeah i'm just super happy that i had these experiences mm -hmm. yeah and so you were there for six months and then you went back to germany is that right yeah, that's right. But only for one semester at university and during semester breaks, I was like, no, I have to go back. I was missing my friends and also the spirit, the, the life in Myanmar. So I went back there and then I kind of got stuck. I didn't have, um, I didn't have the plan to stay there for so long. But my flight back to Germany again got canceled because of the pandemic and everything was online from a university. So I was studying online and I was like, okay, I can just be here in Myanmar. And it was cool because I had my friends there and I got much support from my friends and yeah, I was able to stay in Myanmar. That's amazing. So it sounds like you sort of fell in love with Myanmar and had to go back uh, as soon as you possibly could. Yeah, that's true. That's definitely true. So your second time in Myanmar, you were stuck there with COVID. And what was that like in Myanmar? I mean, I know that there wasn't too many cases of COVID, um, but everybody was practicing social distancing. And I believe most businesses were closed, right? Yeah, that's true. Um, I think the thing about COVID in Myanmar was that we knew that once it gets to a, an area where people don't have access to good medicine or health supply, um, they would really suffer. So everyone was just trying to don't let this happen. And we stayed inside and restaurants were closed, businesses were closed. It was different because before the th six months in Myanmar before this, I was able to do everything also at nighttime because it was still warm outside. You could just go by bus to the next town or something. And now with COVID, it wasn't possible anymore. And you felt 
trapped. I felt trapped, kind of. And it wasn't always easy. I believe all around the world this is not easy and it wasn't easy. Being away from my family during this time was especially hard and difficult. But like I said, my friends were there and we talked over phone and we always were looking for the next time to see each other. Like we did plans like, oh, we will drink bubble tea and stuff like this. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I imagine it really was quite hard there being away from family during such a a time of crisis. And I'm happy to hear that you had some friends there. Um, What is it like for you? having Myanmar friends oh it's awesome that's the best thing like from my whole life that could ever happen to me it's like I always have to smile when I talk to my friends in Myanmar especially to my very first friend who I was talking about um like the jokes and just the positivity with in all the situations it's awesome and sometimes they also see things in a different way and I'm talking and talking and then they're like hmm wait Johanna and I see like wow yeah yeah I haven't thought of this wow thank you so it's awesome wow so you were there during COVID and then it sounds like you were there when the coup started as well Yeah, that's true. In January, everyone was happy because things were opening again. But then right at the point where everyone was just looking into a bright future, the coup happened. And yeah, everything changed basically overnight. Mm. Yeah, it it's really heartbreaking uh, when I think about how everybody was just planning for a fresh start after COVID, after following the restrictions very closely and all the guidelines, avoiding um, mass increases of COVID cases, and then and then the coup happening. I wonder what that experience was like for you, if any memory in particular stands out about when the coup happened and some of the struggles that you had to face up to. Yeah, so there were, of course, many struggles coming along with the coup. And I think the organization, like from my whole life and the daily life, was a big, big struggle because I couldn't plan anything. I was in my bachelor thesis, like I was writing my bachelor thesis in Myanmar. And I couldn't really plan when I have internet access, when I can meet people to do certain prototype testings. And this was very difficult. But I really loved that I was living together with a local friend at this time. So whenever news came up, she was telling me uh, what these news are like translating to me and saying oh yeah this has this background this is happening so we also went for donations and it was good to see that all the people were just sticking together and embracing what they're fighting for and just yeah really work together for one goal yeah there was so much unity during that time um, when the coup started and i wonder if you had the chance of participating in any protests? 
<laughs> I participated not really um, like for many, many hours in the protests. I was donating some food and um, at this time people took pictures of me and these pictures also went viral. So afterwards I was a bit afraid that police officers might um, recognize me and then ask me what I'm doing on the streets. But for the donation, um, I have a special memory because me and my friend, we went out during the Milk Tea Alliance protests. So we were donating milk tea to the people in our streets who were taking care that no policeman came in. And while we were doing the donation, policemen actually came and were chasing for basically everyone who was on the street at this time. And so me and my friend, we had to run and we were like, okay, we had to hide, we had to hide. So there was a grandmother waving to us that we can come into her home. And we just ran straight into her home. I didn't recognize anything at this moment, but when I was in the home hiding from the police, I was looking at the grandmother and she was very slim and had only one eye left. And she looked at me and my friend and it wasn't like she was asking for, hey, can you get out or I'm not safe or so. She was asking, are you hungry? Do you need anything? Do you need something? And and I was like there and I was like, no, 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 I'm fine, I'm fine. And then she was looking at us and of course we were sweating because we just run. And she went to the only plug for electricity in her home and she had one tiny fan and she was plugging in this fan so we could have some fresh air. And then she was trying to get some water and so, and she was talking in Burmese and my friend was translating that she said she would get food for us if we need some. She doesn't have some food at the moment, but she would get some for us if we are hungry. And I was just so overwhelmed at this moment because the police was chasing us, what never happened to me, of course, before. And I was in a little tiny home with one room and then the grandmother offers me something she doesn't even have. And I was like, wow. Wow, indeed. Oh my goodness. Yeah, that just really goes to show the, you know, caring and generous nature of so many Myanmar people. Yeah. And I was trying to make her take all the milk tea we had left, but she didn't want any. So uh, like this also shows that, you know, like she wanted to give us something without even expecting us to give her something in return. Mm, exactly. Yeah, that's a beautiful, very heartwarming story. Yeah. And so it sounds like, you know, becoming viral with some of the images that um, people had taken of you during the protests, you had to be in hiding. Yeah, not really. Um, I think I was in the lucky position to be in the country when everything was still as open as it was. I was able to take taxis. I was able to go and buy if the grocery store was open. Um, but there was always a tension and a pressure. And this is also 
why I couldn't finish my bachelor thesis there and had to leave because I needed internet access. So yeah, it was it wasn't easy. Right, right. So you were working on your bachelor thesis in Myanmar, and then of course all the internet cut off, and so you had to go home to Germany. I wonder what was that experience like for you, having to leave during you know in the middle of a coup when all of your friends and and your neighbors are in in danger. It it felt like not real. Like I needed at least one month here in Germany to know, okay, this was not just a bad dream. This, like it really happened and you are now in a different country, in a different time zone, not able to contact your friends and everyone in, in, in Myanmar. It was not easy and it felt very unreal. I cannot really express the feeling because, of course, I was happy that I have all my friends in Myanmar and I was happy that I can see my family soon again. But also, I couldn't believe that I actually got a flight and I got a ticket at the airport. And then I come back to Germany where everyone is worrying about the pandemic and things are just still happening and going on. And I'm in between two worlds, basically. Right, exactly. Yeah, I imagine that you had a lot to process and then you know, your closest family members and friends in Germany probably couldn't really relate to your experience of the coup and having to to escape um, an environment that you weren't even sure you'd be able to escape. Yeah, and many people said, no, you're back, no, everything is fine. But no, it's not fine. Just because one person left the country, it doesn't mean that the people in there are okay, are doing fine. And... I also want to tell this to the people in Myanmar, like there are so many people, I have friends here in Germany now, so many people all around the world who really, really want the democracy from Myanmar and want justice and everything. And we're fighting for this and we're speaking to politics and um, we're just talking to all the friends and people we can talk to to make them aware of the situation so that no one forgets and that we can actually change the situation right there. Wow, exactly. Yeah, it's so encouraging to hear that people in Germany care about uh, the cause in Myanmar. And and you said it beautifully, you know, I, there are so many of us out here just really pouring our hearts into so many different projects to support the people of Myanmar and really hoping for their safety and their well-being and their achievement of democracy. Yes, true. And like when I do all this, I always have the thought in my mind that one day I go back and I can hug all my friends and I see the beautiful smiles and we can laugh together and everything will be fine and we will be happy. So yeah. This is what what I really want. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and so what are some of the projects that you are currently working on to support people in Myanmar? Uh, we are doing protests in Germany. 
in the major cities like every weekend and then in smaller cities and the major cities at least once per month. And we're writing letters to the government and we're also trying to help some diplomatics, di diplomatic people here um, because of course they're also trying to support their people in Myanmar and it's not very easy to do this from Germany. So yeah, we're trying to do our best here to support what is happening in Myanmar for the democracy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I think so many of us um, are having to really stretch ourselves and we're learning new ways of, of um, advocacy that we've probably never explored before, you know, like, for example, on Saturdays, um, I organize a phone call with um, leaders and experts and nonviolent organizations with people, young protest leaders in Myanmar, and, and just having dialogue and bouncing off ideas off one another. And there's just, there's just so much growth happening, and also so much unity amongst the diaspora, and also those that support uh, people of Myanmar. So it's been very inspiring. Yeah, and to be honest, I was living in Germany for my whole life, but I've never felt this connected within my country because now I know people in different cities all around Germany who are fighting for Myanmar. And we also have the group calls like at least once per week. And we're also getting very creative. Like there is there are some artists who are just doing super nice artwork so we can go on the streets and have a big poster saying um, save Myanmar or things like this and it's it's amazing what all the action is doing yeah exactly yeah you know sometimes when I think about previous coups that have happened in Myanmar and just the struggle that that has been in the country for decades uh, against the military, you know, I think it's different this time. I think, I think all of us are more united um, outside of Myanmar and also with people inside Myanmar, and we're all working together. Yes, definitely. The internet t uh, takes a big part of this because the internet makes it happen that we're all united. And I think this is really a big, big, big step, and we can do this all together because we all want this. And there are so many people working for democracy in Myanmar that, yeah, we really want to achieve this. Exactly. And if I'm understanding correctly, you developed a, a web app while you were in Myanmar. Is that right? Uh, yeah, that's true. I mean, I developed the prototypes during my bachelor thesis and I was about to develop the real app just when the coup started and I want to work on this when I go back to Myanmar or if I have the chance from here. It's not clear yet, but the app is made for helping other people. And if the app was what have already existed before the coup, this would have been a game changer. I'm sure about this, but yeah, later it will also help communities and stuff. Wow, that sounds incredible. Um, I know that I inadvertently or unintentionally ended up developing somewhat of a telehealth program where 
um, matching international Burmese speaking doctors and therapists with people in Myanmar. And we've sort of entertained the idea of creating an app. And so I know that's a really big project and, and just amazing that you were developing this to help people in Myanmar. Yeah, that's awesome. I really like how little apps can change communities and how people interact. And this is so cool. Well, Joanna, thank you so much for sharing about your experience in Myanmar and also just all the projects that you've been working on to support the people in Myanmar. I wonder if you have any final words. Uh, thank you, of course. I want to really, really encourage everyone in Myanmar to just keep the beautiful thoughts and keep the beautiful mindset and spirit and laughs and smiles and to don't give up. We all support you and we keep fighting and we won't rest until democracy is back. And yeah, just thank you for letting me experience everything in Myanmar. We will definitely give everything back because yeah, Myanmar is too beautiful. Just thank you for everything. Hello, Sue. Thank you so much for joining me in this podcast. Hi, Ashley. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you here. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? I am an American of Chinese descent. And I arrived to Myanmar in 2008, right before it initiated its top-down transition to civilian rule. Um, I first came to um, work on a humanitarian response to Cyclone Nargis, which many people know was devastating to the Irrawaddy Delta area and which killed up to 150,000 people. My role was to support the recovery of these rural livelihoods. After the 2010 elections, I, I started to work on the strengthening of the country's nascent democratic institutions with a focus on land and natural resources, politics, and governance. I did this work for the rest of the time I was there until 2019 when I finally returned to the United States. That's really incredible, Sue. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a very unique uh, role that you played in Myanmar, especially during a big time of transition. Yeah, it was an incredible um, period. And um, there are many, many fond memories that I have uh, of, of my decade living there. Um, I'm happy to share one of these. 
to to give you a sense of the kind of deep impressions the Myanmar people left on me. That would be great. So my experience working on the Narius response um, left me with a deep impression of the people in this country. As I mentioned, um, the disaster killed over 150,000 people across this riverine world of the Delta. Our emergency response program covered six areas in the Delta, and together I had over 100 youth working with me. Many of them were young men. Because this work involved braving dangerous waters, often in bad weather, and in poor quality boats that leaked regularly to deliver the aid to the different small remote villages along these river ways. And I remembered that I was amazed at how, how the young people carried out this work with purpose and dedication and good care. Um, I was deeply in touch that many of the youth who were nearly orphans in this world because many of their family members had died uh, from the disaster, they became each other's family members during this emotionally turbulent time. And during the evenings, uh, many of the young people would get together and entertain each other by putting on shows on the World Food Program boat that was parked right outside our office. And um, I was privy to many of these late night shows um, in which there was great humor um, and often under the, the, the light of the moon. These are very precious memories to me that I will never forget. And it, they just reaffirmed to me that Myanmar people are extremely humane, caring, and resilient in the face of great difficulties. That's beautiful, Sue. It just sounds like even during the most devastating of times, there was just such warmth and friendliness uh, amongst the people that you were working with. Um, you know, people from different parts of the country and at different points of the time that I lived there would come across my life at different times. And so it was, you know, really interesting that, um, you know, this, this, this kind of uh, reappearance and, you know, people were just sort of, you know, coming through my life all the time. So um, it's a very, yeah, it's a, it's a very difficult thing to, to say, but it's, you know, a place where I think a lot of um, almost magical things happen. Yeah, it just sounds like really special connections and um, just encountering each other again at different times. It sounds really special. I wonder um, if you can share a little bit about, you know, the time that you spent there, what impressions you had or what other impressions you had and how it's impacted you? Well, um, as someone who grew up in the United States since a young age, I now realize looking back that I took um, democracy and many of the functioning 
institutions here for granted. I was very fortunate to work in Myanmar during these 10 years um, of its experimentation with democracy. And it deeply made me appreciate that it is a distant dream for most people in the world and an ideal for which many people fight for generations and to which many people bravely give their lives. So after this experience, it's clear to me that democracy does not appear out of thin air, um, but something that involves daily struggle in constant individual stands against tyranny. So I met and was inspired by many of these courageous people um, during this time that I was there. And for example, uh, there were these lawyers who I worked with um, to better understand the land politics in the country. Um, I would follow lawyers around the country as they gave their pro bono services to um, communities who had suffered injustices uh, under the previous regime prior mm -hmm. to the transition. So I was able to see how these, these brave individuals, um, many of whom had recently come out of prison, had returned to the fight for democracy. These impressions followed me back to, to the United States two years ago. And I found myself drawn into this country's own fight against tyranny as Trump threatened to tear down our democratic institutions. And so my experience in Myanmar made me ever more sensitive and determined to do what I could to contribute to America's battered democracy. And right now also to do what I can for the Myanmar people in this current crisis. Yeah, can you tell us a little bit about how you've been engaging? Yeah, for um, Myanmar, I would say that the engagement probably started when I became very involved with the campaign to elect Biden. And I knew that having Biden in the position of president would contribute to mitigating some of the horrific events happening around the world, resulting in gross human rights violations. And um, so I would say that what I'm doing for Myanmar probably started even before I knew there was going to be a direct link to the current situation. And right now, without going into a lot of details, um, I have been uh, working with different networks of individuals who also care a lot about the country and the people to try to ameliorate some of the suffering um, by getting financial assistance into the country and to also um, you know, get involved with different policy and advocacy, um, um, particularly in, with, the, with, with regards to U.S. policies 
to the country. But it is an extremely difficult situation to impact um, from the outside because the, the struggle for democracy is, um, is, is, a, is a tempest in the Myanmar, you know, it, tempest in the Myanmar teacup, right? And so it's, it's still highly restricted. Um, the forces are contained within the inside of the country that make it difficult for external forces to impact directly. And there's also many different reasons why um, the things that could be done from outside are not being done, which are unfortunately rooted in uh, geopolitics. So I'm really curious, Sue, what was it like for you transitioning into the Burmese culture? Like, what was it like for you, you know, with the weather and the food and the language? Yeah, that is a, a good question. And uh, I'll have to think back to that time. Um, when I first got there, I didn't really worry too much about it because I was initially offered a short six-month contract to just respond to the emergency. So I packed one bag and was prepared to live there with my one bag in a hotel room and then, you know, probably return home after six months. Um, did not realize at all that I would end up staying there for as long as I would. But... Um, because I was there to respond to the emergency, I had a very hectic life that was mainly centered um, around the office and then uh, returning to the hotel where I stayed with other foreigners um, on my team. So I was actually too busy to uh, be worried about anything. You know, I just took each day as it came. I remembered arriving during the monsoon season and it was, it just seemed to be wet all the time. And that didn't bother me. Um, the food, um, because I had spent quite a bit of time already in Southeast Asia was not unfamiliar to me. And, um, you know, everything was, was, was quite, um, uh, delicious except the few times I fell ill to food poisoning. But after, mm -hmm. uh, one or two of those, I developed a stomach of steel, so nothing really bothered, bothered me in terms of food after that. Um, and the language, um, and again, because I had uh, Bur uh, Burmese colleagues who spoke English and socialized with some other foreigners, I didn't really need to know Burmese in the, uh, in the first six months. But after that period, I decided after I decided I would stay longer, uh, I committed myself to trying to learn Burmese. And, um, you know, over the course of staying there, I had four different teachers, uh, some who I quickly realized were really not up to being Burmese teachers. But I did find some that were excellent. And um, they, they taught me uh, with a lot of um, patience so that I'd be able to structure grammatically correct sentences. So, um, yeah, so that was my experience. And I think that, you know, after uh, maybe one year, I already felt like it was a very, 
familiar place to me and um, just everything just felt like it suited my personality, you know, from the, the food to the climate to the people to um, the colors. So I always and still continue to feel that it is my second home after the United States. Yeah, that's pretty incredible that you were able to spend, you know, as many years as you did there. And it sounds like you just got right to work as soon as you arrived. Um, did you get a chance to do any of the touristy things later on? You know, the, the entire country was really interesting um, and still is. And uh, probably my first trip was to the Mandalay Bagan area. And I remember going with one of my co-workers and we decided to go the slow route which was taking the 100 year old train that bumped us along through the night and left us with broken bones by the morning um so <laughs> we really well we learned our lesson never to do that again but it did get us to Bagan. And, and from there, we went to Mandalay, and, um, and it was a very memorable trip. I want to backtrack a little bit, Sue. Earlier, you mentioned lawyer friends that you had that were imprisoned under the previous regime. And then as soon as they came out of prison, they went right back to serving their communities. I find that really inspiring. And I'm curious, what do you think allows them to jump back into engagement as they do or as they did? Thanks for the question. Um, yes, as I mentioned earlier, I was inspired by these political prisoners I befriended when I was there. One of these people is a human rights lawyer who I followed around the country to observe his cases helping rural, rural people dispossessed of their land um, under the military regime before the transition. And um, over this time following him around, I got to know him better. And I learned that his deep Buddhist practice and meditation helped him get through a total of eight years of prison with periods of solitary confinement. He told me that he broke up his days by doing uh, different meditation sittings through the day, um, punctuated by periods of reading, studying English, uh, doing physical exercises, uh, having some chats with his neighboring cellmates. So it was a, he had to um, have a really strong um, faith and, and depth of character and strength of character to get through this ordeal and to come out whole. I also learned that it was from his Buddhist faith from which he derived his compassion for his fellow human beings that motivated him to go right back to joining the fight for democracy right after leaving prison. He felt that it was only through his effort and the reliance on his, um, his knowledge and action that he could exercise his faith. So inspired by that, 
I wrote a poem in 2012 as a tribute to the strength and, a, and the beauty I saw in people like him fighting for the country's democracy. I am not advocating for any formal religion here, but I reference the Hindu epic, the Bhagavad Gita, in which the main character Arjuna has an inner struggle when he realizes he has to engage in battle in order to bring peace to his land. The poem is therefore titled, Arjuna and the Political Prisoner. A man cannot escape the force of action. No one exists for even an instant without performing action. This Arjuna was instructed by the Lord Krishna. Your mind, your limbs, your body, as they are meaningless. What is the purpose of a mortal life if not to touch the divine? Love, knowledge, service. You, like Arjuna, saw the world with insight. You saw endless holocaust. And beings lick at the world and beings lick at the worlds, devouring them with flaming mouths. You loathe bloodshed, but the world is a battlefield, and you picked up your sword, unable to turn away despite your horror. It was you in the cold, dark cell, you in the damp loneliness. But it was more than you. It was the soul of a nation, mouths smothered by torn rags. You sat for them, and they lived for you, imprisoned on the outside. Bearing your scars still, you are now a free man. The battlefield has turned, and having passed through the gates of hell, you are ever the wiser, and the fire in you burns brighter still. Mm, that's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that poem, Sue. Thanks, Ashley. It was really an honor to be on your show, and um, I hope that this inspires and gives hope to the Myanmar people who might be listening. I hope it is evident that Many people around the world think about them and care about them and are doing what they can to support them in this fight. tragic aspects of the current crisis in Myanmar is how isolated Burmese protesters feel, and in fact are. 
This has been compounded by bank closures, and as a result, ordinary wire transfers are not possible. Thankfully, through a trusted local network, we're able to ensure that all donations successfully reach their intended target. So if you found yourself moved by today's discussion and want to do what you can to help, please consider giving to our fund, which is 100% directed towards supporting the movement. If you would like to join in our mission to support those in Myanmar who are resisting the military coup, we welcome your contribution in any form, currency, or transfer method. Every cent goes immediately and directly to funding those local communities who need it most. Donations go to support such causes as the Civil Disobedience Movement, CDM, families of deceased victims, and the purchasing of protective equipment and medical supplies. Or if you prefer, you can earmark your donation to go directly to the guest you just heard on today's show. In order to facilitate this donation work, we have registered a new nonprofit called Better Burma for this express purpose. Any donation you give on our Insight Myanmar website is now directed to this fund. Alternatively, you can visit our new Better Burma website, which is betterburma.org, and donate directly there. In either case, your donation goes to the same cause, and both websites accept credit cards. You can also give via PayPal by going to paypal.me slash betterburma. Additionally, we can take donations through Patreon, Venmo, GoFundMe, and Cash App. Simply search Better Burma on each platform and you'll find our account. You can also visit either website for specific links to those respective accounts, or email us at info at In all cases, that's Better Burma, one word, spelled B-E-T-T-E-R-B-U-R-M-A. If you would like to give in another way, please contact us. Thank you so much for your kind consideration. Hello, Keshav. Welcome to Love Letters to Myanmar. Hey, Ashley. Uh, so can you tell us a little bit about where you're calling from and something about your background? So at the moment, I'm speaking from the Sacred Valley of Peru, a bit outside the city of Cusco. I, I, I have a background in ancient Indian wisdom practices and systems. Um, I'm also an Indian classical musician and a meditation guide working with different traditions of knowledge from ancient Ind- India. I was, I was born in India, born, brought, brought, brought up in India and have been living in Peru since some months now. Oh, that's incredible. And so you have been to Myanmar before, correct? I visited Burma in 2010, quite a long time ago. Oh, so currently you're in Peru, and it sounds like you are originally from India. Yeah, I was born, brought up in India. I lived in India for most of my life. Um, and I've been in Central and South America since 2019 pretty amazing that you have a background in ancient Indian philosophy and teachings. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? So um, my journey has been in different systems of ancient Indian wisdom, including yoga, Advaita Vedanta, and the Buddha Dharma, the teachings of the Buddha, drawing upon both the Theravada and the Tibetan traditions, which have which have been a large part of my life so far and continues to be a driving force in what I do. That's beautiful. 
And most of your studying, has it been in India? A lot of it has been in India, yes. My, my, my practice, the teachers I've studied with, um, a large part of it has been in India. And, um, you know, wherever else I've been over, over the years. India is where it all began, where, where the roots were firmly planted. And during your studies, did you ever get a chance to go to Myanmar and expand upon uh, some of your knowledge there? So I, I traveled to Burma back in 2010, um, more than a decade ago. Um, and I was deeply impacted by my time there, in, including the, the social fabric of the country, how um, the ancient dharma was so deeply rooted within um, interactions which people had, or this sense of harmony, peace, trust, which was uh, evident across all the different ethnic groups, and which which permeated all through the 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 country. Um, this 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 had a very deep effect on me, even though coming from India, I had. Uh, I'd never really spent time in a in a culture where there was such a living a living fabric of society based upon the teachings of the of the Buddha, which had a lot to do, which have a lot to do with um, interconnected existence and uh, how how we can live together in a way which is the best for all and for the wider wider planet. Yeah, that's beautiful. Coming from such a rich country like India, where you find so many different traditions still exist, and landing in Myanmar, where, you know, there is also so much diversity of ethnic groups and also religions that are living mostly in harmony. Um, I wonder, was there anything that struck you in particular about diversity in Myanmar? Well, uh, I, I remember my first impressions when I, when I landed into the capital, into Yangon, um, right in the middle of the, si- the city. And back then, I, I haven't been back to Burma since then, and I'm assuming Burma has changed a lot since the country has opened up and all what has passed in the past years. Um, so um, when, when I... My first impressions when I was in Yangon, right in, in the middle of the city was to see a mosque, a church, and a, a Buddhist stupa close to each other within the same block. And a clear sense of how uh, people who belonged to these different faiths lived together, not just lived together, but lived together in a larger atmosphere which reeked of of harmony and peace and the sense of trust, like this fundamental sense of security, which at least that's what I felt walking there right on, on my first day in Burma. Coming from India where, you know, the it it is quite common to find um to find different um religious well people who identify themselves with with different spiritual or religious beliefs to be to be living together however in burma the this sort of underlying uh, social fabric had a, a, a distinct 
feeling which which i had never ever experienced before and that that struck me very very deeply and as as i spent more and more time within the country and met more people um i i had the same sense of uh, of feeling underneath all my interactions or rather well i would say underneath most of my in- interactions and you know i during my time there i i uh, i mixed around with with people from different backgrounds as well as those who identify themselves with with different faiths um and on reflection i realized that that was the case perhaps because the the depth to which the the teachings of the buddha permeates the country and you know the buddha himself said that he taught an ancient path he wasn't teaching anything new so in that sense the depth to which ancient dharma in general permeated the country i had i had never ever stepped foot in a country like that um you know i mean in in india it's quite common to to find people flocking to to temples or to mosques or to churches to pray but it's quite another thing to to find that same sense of faith and uh, the applied dharma or the applied understanding of spirituality right into the very fabric of society itself and the sort of underlying feeling with which people move and interact and speak and the larger the the the, the culture which which that creates so this this is what struck me very deeply right in my first impressions of burma and stayed with me all throughout you know found people to be extraordinarily friendly helpful um the sense of community life like i had never seen before um and i found this very unique very very special you know culture is easy to destroy and to to wipe out a culture quickly we've seen that happening in many parts of the world but to create a culture like that requires uh, re- requires an immensity of well requires an immense amount of uh, of um, of wisdom in some sense you know to to think about the various conditions from which uh, a social fabric fabric like that could come into being it's it's not the easy, easiest thing and you know we we see this in contemporary society where yeah it's it's not the easiest thing to find these sorts of, of social fabrics so this 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 was um some of my my first impressions and what struck me very strongly yes you you said it beautifully kashav you know um i think in yamar people are really quite friendly as you said they're really easy to warm up to you and um and even just in the most simplest interactions you can just sense a scent you can sense um just warmth um welcomeness safety security and uh you can basically become best friends just in an instant that's true uh, it it you know generally in, in asia one finds this culture throughout all of the 
well throughout many of the Asian and Southeast Asian countries, and it, it it's perhaps representative of of the 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 larger spiritual faiths which were prevalent in these countries, and you know cultures created over time. So when I I think in Burma it was particularly strong because I I I had spent some time in different Southeast Asian countries as well. Um, and it, it seemed in many ways that, you know, crossing the border and going into Burma seemed like going back into time, a flavor of how the entire region might have been um, back in time. And more than that, the sort of values which were prized in society um, and and the sort of underlining, underlying culture uh, which I'm assuming would have been even stronger um, in the entire region in in the past. Yeah, so I wonder if you had any um, certain encounters with people of different religious backgrounds. Uh, I I actually did. I, I mean, I had plenty of interactions with um, uh, Buddhists in Burma uh, all throughout my time, you know, in in different regions. Um, and the the warmth in general, speaking very generally, the sense of of warmth and helpfulness. Uh, I, I had numerous encounters, um, both small and big, uh, which touched me very deeply. I did have a particular encounter right in my initial days in Yangon with the with a, almost like a, 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 a Muslim prophet, a man who um, had a very strong, uh, who identified himself with Islam, but this more of like this very ancient flavor of Islam, which, um, which I've sensed in my time in, in India, and I, I sense uh, would, ha- would have been prevalent um, to a greater extent in the in- entire region, um, he he struck me rather like a Sufi saint. Um, I was I was in Yangon, um, drinking juice at a juice shop and just you know watching watching people go by and observing um, small details here here and there. And he was he was at a neighboring table and he came up to me and he was he just immediately. Uh, told me something to the effect that oh I I you know I I had a I sort of felt a divine pull to come up and speak to you and there was um, it felt like I have to give you some some sort of message he he said something to that extent behind the words however there was a sort of presence which which moved me very very deeply so uh, this this encounter with 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 him moved me very very deeply. And op- opened me up to uh, and uh, uh, this this side of of an ancient Islamic world, which I've sensed as in my time in India, as well as in some parts of Southeast Asia, I, I felt that very very strongly right in the middle of Burma, uh, and a lot of Sufi saints had values like compassion tolerance, um, a general sense of, of love, of non-violence right at the center of their um, of, 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 of their being right at the center of, 
of their being so this this ancient um, flavor of of the islamic world um uh, which i personally very much connect to i i had a very strong glimpse of it right in in the city of yangon in a way which which i've never ever had did this move me very very deeply yeah and it sounds like you also had an opportunity to practice some meditation while you were there is that correct i did you know as i um, as i visited different buddhist shrines and stupas and some of the um, the ancient places of watch worship i i wouldn't even necessarily associate them only with the with the buddha because i have a sense that there 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 are places which are very ancient all all throughout the region i was deeply impacted by my time there in the sense of uh, being able to absorb um, ancient energy and presence in these areas as well as uh, the the faith and the, the devotion and um uh in in this in the in the context of of uh, that there was a strong sense of of fundamental peace fundamental goodness which uh, a fundamental sense of safety uh and and deep sense of peace and 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 faith you know which was there in all of in many of these regions um was was uh, did they did you know move me to some extent that again coming from india where there there are plenty of uh, of sacred places certainly the 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 living human social fabric which i saw in burma be it on the on the streets or in the agoras uh, was or in the villages was was often all was of a different nature altogether <laughs> can you know words words are so difficult to describe basic feeling right you know i guess people in myanmar they when they first meet you it's almost as if um if as if they've known you for a long time and you can just connect in this more vulnerable space where there's a lot of presence simplicity and um and they're not really relating to you from a status or a role yes uh, i i i again feel that you know if i i i've been reflecting very deeply as to how these how this sort of culture comes into being and how these values are created and of i mean i don't have a complete understanding of that of course but what my sense is uh, to my understanding is that it essentially comes from this these larger spiritual laws which which govern um uh Our, our world in the sense that um the buddha if 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 we just speak a bit about some of um some of what what he uh, what's contained in his body of teachings speaks a lot on this fundamental sense of interconnected existence and the fact that we inherently come into being as people only in relation to to others um and from from like the sort of a very high wisdom point of view that it is in the fund uh, to 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 create a culture based on the values and the feelings such as we have been speaking about 
essentially stems from a very um, a very wise place of truly seeing into the nature of of re- reality of truly seeing into the fact that um, there is nothing other than interconnected existence um and it's hence uh, uh, the question arises that okay if there has been a certain understanding of the nature of life if if i could say that or of the nature of existence and of sort of certain uh, karmic laws which which govern um the flow of life if there is an insight into that and of course we know burma is known for its its insight uh, traditions of med- meditation if there is knowing and understanding of that then the question would arise that okay if i know that this is how reality is then how do i create a society based on those laws uh, when i say laws i mean you know based on an understanding um a deep deep understanding of of true life um so uh, from from my sense it's it's it it you know based based on that sort of understanding the culture would have come into come into being um and th- this is what uh, one might feel quite quite strongly when one is there um in the larger region you know i i have felt many people have have felt the same feelings even while they are in india and uh, the whole region would have of course deeply influenced uh, each other in the sense that culture would have been shared and evolved together at some point Right, right. You know, you mentioned earlier um, some of the values of the of the people in Myanmar, and you're absolutely right. You know, from the time I was born, and I think this is true for most people in Myanmar. You know, the Buddhist teachings are are very, um, very much encouraged and taught and and just lived really. That it continues on through generations, and um, it really does impact how a society operates yeah i feel like uh, if we uh, it's perhaps you, you know feelings like these can touch people even if let's say they're not deeply interested in in meditation or going deep into uh, let's say the teachings of the buddha or of any ancient dharma but at a very human level it's it's these are feelings which which we can feel because we we are sentient beings <laughs> and 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 feeling is 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 a, is one of the most core parts of our nature um so it's this um you know on uh, it's 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 true that not everybody decides to let's say dedicate their lives and all of their time to to go deeply into any sort of spiritual system but perhaps those who have done that and you know um, it loosely very generally speaking perhaps i could say that um in the ancient world uh, uh, the sort of uh, the where the wisdom was present there was also power in the sense that you know the with the wisdom and the understanding came the ability to shape and to create and to influence a certain social fabric uh which uh, perhaps we can't say the same thing of the contemporary world but, but my my sense is that you know it, it's from like a very deep 
a very deep profound understanding of of the of the of this ground fabric which connects us in ways which are mysterious and which are very non conceptual in the sense that it's it's uh, you know how we are connected through space and time um is a very deep uh, and a, a very deep area with, which is uh, very very much at the heart of of the teachings of the buddha actually so after perhaps i could generally say that after having a sense of this understanding um uh, a certain social fabric or a certain social culture could have been encouraged um with the sense and and with this deep sense of knowing that you know it might be a wise place to live and to develop and to and to grow and to evolve not just individually but the sense of collective evolution and of course keeping in mind the nature you know that we're evolving collectively um, not just as humans but with with all of the with all of the life and nature and there's a tremendous amount of in, 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 in intelligence there there's there's a tremendous amount of wisdom within within uh, all of the the sort of uh, sentient life um and this this as well i i felt this deeply in burma you know the uh, the connection with nature and this larger sense of very wide sense of uh, a very wide perspective may um, of how to live in harmony with all of life and with all of beings yeah and i wonder how that's impacted you you know how your time in myanmar has impacted you on uh, on one hand it it seeing what's happened in burma and impermanence and change and of course the the buddha stressed so much about impermanence um it it did wake me up to well on one hand it showed me a glimpse into a into a world into a fabric of society which i had never ever seen before so it sort of showed me possibilities just what or how it can be possible for a social culture to exist and uh, i've seen a lot of change and impermanence in 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 india as well and of course we know that things and systems are forever changing and culture is forever forever changing um and um seeing the social fabric of the larger region change and also seeing the changes which have happened in burma i mean it does it did wake me up and make me question about the whole notion of you know the whole notion of devil development for example like in what direction are we developing and are we really really developing as as a civilization you know or what sort of a wise way to 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 develop and and of course these are questions which are being asked all over the planet particularly at the current time we are passing through um and and then the sense of, of of okay there is impermanence and change but to change with wisdom to change with uh, with firstly learning what we can learn from the the people who have lived before us you know it's it's quite a it's co- it's quite a sad situation if if the collective wisdom of mankind is not looked at seriously in the sense that if if the wisdom of our ancients is not looked at and 
and uh, if there's no serious attempt to uh, to integrate that into contemporary society that's 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 quite that's quite a that's quite sad <laughs> in 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 the sense that you know ev- evolution would be going into what all has happened before us and going deep into that and then moving forward evolving from 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 there um and, and truly ev- evolving with a very wide sense of what evolution is so a uh, yeah it, this this notion of devil development of 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 uh, of how civilized we really are as beings you know what, what does it mean to be truly civilized ever ever evolved beings um I, this these were some of the influences which my time in Burma had and at, at the same time connecting to I feel the in the land um it's possible to sort of connect with what's happened in the past across the times directly with what sees in the present so in in the present one might be able to see something be it social fabric be it or be it or sort of connecting to the invisible forces in nature or being able to connect with let's say a particular sacred place and this sense of being able to almost access the ancient memory through what one sees in the present because you know the ancient is always has influenced what's happening now so this ability to connect with or uh, with the sort of wisdom of the past if i might say and which is not just past in the sense that it is eternal <laughs> in an in 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 another sense <laughs> um so uh yeah these these were uh, some of the some of uh, i would say of some of uh, what influenced me um, in my time in burma not just then but in the years to come as i as you know as those experiences went deeper and deeper to me and as i began to see what was how things were moving and changing so it sounds like your time in myanmar really was thought provoking and it's influenced you to consider how a society formed what are the ingredients that can allow it to form in a way that's wholesome or you know maybe the ingredients that might might not allow for it to grow in a way that's uh, helpful and wholesome absolutely like how does culture come into being this is a grand question you know <laughs> how do we create culture <laughs> i mean one thing is to firstly even one thing is to know what sort of culture one might wish to create and then how is culture created um and you know and then sustained in a way which is that it's evolving uh, the world we are forever evolving in the sense that you know everybody is well many people are involved in their own well, thank you ashley i'm happy to to be chatting with you here today and also this sense that a, the importance of wisdom whether it's responsibility for sure that the sense that you know that uh, yeah that when when there is when when the the, the importance that uh, if if there is anybody or any being or any any system which has the power to influence culture to change culture then that 
the importance that there is also wisdom with that with that power and with that influence you know um and, and i feel this was true of a lot of the ancient world you know very very common for kings to to uh, have had the wisest people um telling them or suggesting them or advising them as to as to how they should go about ruling their kingdom for for example seems like there's just so much potential for you know family members teachers government officials to really impact um how a culture is formed how it's formed and how it changes and to be like to be we've seen culture destroyed and wiped out in so many parts of the world often by government decisions you know it's a, a, a culture which is preciously created preserved which is like a living embodied culture effectively just destroyed for 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 no real wise reason or you, you know in a way which is which is not really good in a in a longer sense in the sense that it just causes more un- unwholesomeness than wholesomeness so this sensitivity to be careful in you know in the sort of change we we bring out uh, not <laughs> i mean and one can see that you know we see this in the natural world and of course we as humans are nothing but extensions of the natural world so it's it's the sense of a sensitivity to what causes change through all of life uh, within a larger understanding of what direction is is perhaps a desired direction to evolve in and and of course these are you know these are larger questions which our planet is faced with particularly in in these times you know where we're being forced to truly look at what, how wise we are and what we really know you know um decisions are usually uh, backed by some sort of knowing or some sort of understanding of the human situation and of the human condition <laughs> and if there is no understanding of the human condition of course there's going to be a decision which is which has no understanding of the human condition which which one has seen in in many parts of the whole world and in Burma as well. Uh, well, thank you so much for a very thought-provoking and reflective um, discussion about society and just how Myanmar has influenced you. ပြီးသူတွေတက်နေရတာလေတာရဲ့လူမှန်းတီရင်တွေငါတာဟိုရင်တဲ့ဟာစစ်တကူမလို့ခဲ့ပါဘူးအမေးရေးလေးကျို
ไส้ตวินเพดาวีดาคุรอง่ารุคลีรีโอชินชินเปียนตักไคนีจาเรบัวหลุดซูวาเลยอะเชียนอ่ะแปงกงสุขขันยาเรงาคลีรีเยเล
If you can't find our feed on your podcast player, please just let us know and we'll ensure it can be offered there in the future. Also, make sure to check out our website for a list of our complete episodes, including additional text, videos, and other information available at insightmyanmar.org. And I also invite you to take a look at our new nonprofit organization at betterburma.org. There was certainly a lot to talk about in this episode, and we'd like to encourage listeners to keep the discussion going. Make a post, request specific questions, and join in on discussions currently going on on the Insight Myanmar podcast Facebook group. You're also most welcome to follow our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter accounts by the same name. If you're not on social media, feel free to message us directly at info at insightmyanmar.org. Or, if you'd like to start up a discussion group on another platform, let us know, and we can share that form here. Finally, we're open to suggestions about guests or topics for future episodes. So, if you have someone or something in mind, please do be in touch. We would like to take this time to thank everyone who made this podcast possible. Currently, our team consists of two sound engineers, Mike Bink and Martin Combs. There's, of course, Zach Hessler, content collaborator and part-time co-host. Ken Pransky helps with editing. And a special Mongolian volunteer who is asked to remain anonymous does our social media templates. In light of the ongoing crisis in Myanmar, a number of volunteers have stepped in to lend a hand as well. And so we'd like to take this time to appreciate their effort in our time of need. And we're always on the lookout for more volunteers during this critical time. So if you'd like to contribute, definitely let us know. We'd also like to thank everyone who has assisted us in arranging for the guests we've interviewed so far. And of course, we send a big thank you to the guests themselves for agreeing to come on and share such personal, powerful stories. Finally, we're immensely grateful for the donors who made this entire thing possible. We want to remind our listeners that the opinions expressed by our guests are their own and don't necessarily reflect the host or other podcast contributors. Please also note that as we are mainly a volunteer team, we do not have the capacity to fact-check our guest interviews. By virtue of being invited on our show, there's a trust that they will be truthful and not misrepresent themselves or others. If you have any concerns about the statements made on this or other shows, please contact us. This recording is the exclusive right of Insight Myanmar podcast and may not be used without the expressed written permission of the podcast owner, which includes video, audio, written transcripts, or excerpts of any episodes also not meant to be used for commercial purposes. On the other hand, we're very open to collaboration. So if you have a particular idea in mind for sharing any of our podcasts or podcast-related information, please feel free to contact us with your proposal. If you would like to support our mission, we welcome your contribution. During this time of crisis, all donations now go towards supporting the protest movement in Myanmar through our new nonprofit, Better Burma. You may give by searching Better Burma on PayPal, Venmo, Cash App, GoFundMe, and Patreon, as well as via credit card at betterburma.org donation. You can also give right on our Insight Myanmar website, as all donations given there are directed towards the same fund. And with that, we're off to work on the next show, so see you next episode. Go
我们的家人们，我们的家人们，我们的家人们，我们的家人们，我们的家人们，我们的家人们，我们的家人们，我们的家人们，我们的家人们，我们的家人们，我们的家人们，我们的家人们，我们的家人们，我们的家人们，我们